reading is taken from John chapter 15, um, starting at verse 1 up to verse 17. It's 1083 in the Church Bibles. So John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. Thanks, Olaf. I do keep that open. Verse 11 is an intriguing verse, isn't it? Do you think that when you were reading through it? I've told you this so that my joy might be in you and that your joy may be complete. It's intriguing, isn't it? There's lots of intriguing verses in this passage. They all feel almost like they're tweetable, aren't they? Every line you think, oh, well, that's a good one, isn't it? I want want to stop and think about that. There's all sorts of things going on here. And we're going to think through it tonight. I I wonder, just as we begin, have you noticed the way who you think you are and what you love shapes the way you grow? Um, Your your identity and your joys, uh, they they kind kind of set the direction of life in some ways. 
Uh, they push life in a certain direction. They kind of feed into each other, you know, your identity, how you think of yourself. And the things that you love, the things that give you joy, they kind of reinforce your identity again. And they push life on and you, you grow in a certain way. I, I noticed it in this uh, past week. A couple of numbers arrived in our house. And they kind of exposed, exposed, oh, too soon, too soon, Matthew, too soon. <laughs> that was the big reveal. Um, they, imagine you'd not seen that. And they exposed a certain identity and joy uh, when they came to the surface. Shall I tell you what those numbers were? <laughs> Matthew, now. <laughs> I asked two. Tottenham Hotspur, uh, three. Our two boys, our two boys, uh, Jamie and Jack, they became Spurs fans last year. uh, And it's kind of had an impact on them. They've they've collected player cards. They've memorized names. They've watched for results. They they know all sorts of stuff. They know names of players I I have no idea about. And under the surface, there's been a kind of deepening joy in all things Spurs. And if you want to know if it's changed them, when I told them Spurs were in the final, um, identity and joy were just exposed. And they said, we've done it. (laughs) We've done it. And I thought, you were in bed asleep. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you did. You didn't do anything. You were asleep. But still it was there. We've, We've done it. Identity and joy all mixed up together and it's, it's pushed them on. And, um, and I noticed it as well because I, I thought I teased them out a little bit. And I said, look, we're heading to the final. Wouldn't you rather, wouldn't you rather support Liverpool? And the look of outrage, the look of outrage on their faces, which is, you understand that, that look of outrage, that, that's really just the same joy expressing itself when you try and push them to go against the thing that they love, the way they see themselves, that, that joy and outrage, they're not different things. It's just the same thing, isn't it? Just expressed. It's just joy expressing itself in, in the different direction when you try and make them do something against the thing they love. They've grown into Spurs fans. Look, you, you see it in different ways, don't you? This kind of identity and joy going together. In friendship, someone you've been getting to know and then it happens, you're out with them, they introduce you to someone else, and they say, um, oh, there we go, I was meant to have that bit up before. I've not done very well on the slides this week. Matthew, it's my fault, it's not you. Um, but imagine this, you're, you're out with your friends, can we go on to the next one? There we go. Um, you're, you're out with someone, they introduce you, and they say, this is my friend. First time they've said it. And there you go, you've kind of got an identity now. We're friends. And everything that comes along with that, uh, as it goes on, the kind of shared time, shared laughs, shared tears, and the joys that come with it, and those joys feed back into the identity, and it it pushes you in a certain direction, doesn't it? Friendship grows, it kind of bears fruit in all sorts of ways, but you you think about it, and this identity and joy thing, it it also raises problems. So if I think of myself in this kind of way, if I, if I think in terms of my identity, look, I'm someone who's entitled to fulfillment and happiness. That's who I am. That's how I think about myself. But I'm in a marriage that I'm not enjoying. And the responsibilities I'm just finding are burdensome. Well, I feel it's not just hard, then it's stopping me being who I really am because I'm someone who's meant to be just fulfilled and happy, and this thing's stopping me being that. Uh, my identity is being 
squashed down in, in some ways. Barbara Whitehead, in a book called The Divorce Culture, she, she comments on this kind of stuff. And one of the things she notices about our society and the way it's progressed is she says people have changed in the way they see themselves. We've changed from seeing ourselves as people with obligations and commitments to being people who need to pursue emotional happiness regardless of other commitments. So if my marriage makes me unhappy, then, well, I'll, uh, that's really stopping me grow into the person that I should be, and so you need to change that. And you can see if that's how you understand yourself. Uh, what also with those kind of things, if, if that's how you see yourself, if that's how you view your identity, you can also see in other ways, as we get around church things, as we get around Christian things, when you discover God says you need to stop something you enjoy, or you need to start doing something that you think you, you don't enjoy, what we'll feel is, well, look, that won't help me grow. That's not going to push my life in the right direction. It's detrimental to the person I am. There, there must be something wrong with, or maybe there's something wrong with God or with Christianity or with the Bible. Because it doesn't quite fit with how I see myself. So how are you growing? How do you think of yourself? How do you view your identity as a person? As you think about that, the, the Bible, I guess, if you've read it for any kind of length of time, will spotlight something else and it says, look, there might be a problem with our identity and with the things we love. And that's the reason that as we grow, we discover disordered things in our lives. Selfishness. Cruel words. At times, I'm just a coward. An absolute coward at times. I'm greedy. I'm greedy for food. I'm, I'm greedy for, for stuff. I'm greedy for my own time, for my own comfort. I'm greedy for all sorts of things. And the Bible puts it like this. Look, our identity is sinful. And our loves, well, what we enjoy is going our own way. And we grow in that. Those things feed into each other. And we bear the fruit of it. It's why at times we, we feel God... Well, look, he's just spoiling life. And the Bible says, no, that's not right. It's not God that spoils life. We're the ones who are the problem, and it makes us God's enemies. And yet, while God opposes that kind of life, John's gospel, if you've been here over these past months as, as we've been going through John's gospel, John's gospel puts before us Jesus Christ, who says he's God the Son, who says he's come to save and to give eternal life and lasting joy. And you think, well, how can he do that? How can he do it? Well, he says, in effect, in effect, he'll change your identity. And he'll transform what you enjoy. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Your identity changed and your joys transformed. A new identity that will lead to lasting joys. If you're a Christian tonight, that's what he's brought you into. Maybe you've not thought of it that way before, but that's, that's what Jesus through the gospel has, has brought you into. And it's what he talks about in these verses that Olaf's read for us, his disciples. Uh, this group of men who've begun to follow him, who are thinking, yes, we can get to God through this man. He's the one that can show us the way to God's good life. But they're upset at this point because Jesus has said he's going away. They don't know quite what to do about it. Jesus is getting closer to his death on the cross, the defining moment of his life, and they've not really understood what's happening. But Jesus, in this section, 
uh, that we've been looking at over these few weeks, he's been speaking to them. He's been telling them words that will reassure them when they've understood what his death on the cross is all about. He's told them at times, you, you won't understand this now, but later, after the cross, you'll, you'll understand this. And these words we're reading tonight, they'll help us too, in light of the cross. And let me show you what he says to do with our identity and our joys. Here, here's the first thing. He says, look, the Father, that's what Jesus says, the Father wants to grow you like his Son. It's verse 1. You've got it there in front of you. I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. And you, you see how the picture works. See, Jesus uses this picture to capture their imaginations in some ways. Jesus, oh, Jesus is the, the growing vine. His, his father is the gardener that tends it, looks after it, makes sure it grows. And, and people, he says, are in some way branches that are connected to him, connected to the vine, connected to Jesus. Sounds like a funny thing to say, I am the true vine. But in the Old Testament, God at times, God in times uh, described his people like that. He, he described them as a vineyard that he'd planted. He wanted them to grow and to have a kind of fruitful life. You see how the picture works. Living God's good way. But all through the Old Testament, no matter what God did, no matter how many times he spoke to them, they, they never seemed to hold on to it. They always failed. They always turned away. They couldn't hold on to God's good life. But but now Jesus has come in the gospel and he's saying, I am the true vine. And you understand what that means. All of God's plans for people. I'm the true people of God, he's saying. I'm the one. I'm the one who can really live out God's good life. I'll live God's way, but not just for himself. It's not kind of some selfish way that he's come on the scene to say, look, I've done it. I can live the good life. Here's what you couldn't do. It's not like that. No, he's saying, I'll live the good life and then I'll do something that opens up his life so that others can get in on it with him. He'll become the way into this kind of life. He'll live the life and do something that opens it up. He'll become the way into life. And you, you see how the picture works. In verse five, he says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You'll get in on this life. Your life joined to Jesus' life and the power of his life now begins to flow into yours. And Jesus says, sadly, there will be some, he'll say it in verse two and he'll say it in verse six, there'll be some who sort of look like they're connected to Jesus, but they're not really. And in terms of his life, they'll just wither. They'll not really have it. They'll not get it. And one day, they'll finally, they'll be, they'll be cut off, picked up, and, and thrown away. But if you're in Jesus, if you are in Jesus, his life will flow into your life. You'll be part of God's saved people, and you'll begin to live God's good and lasting life. That's what was being said in verse 8. This is, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And you see what Jesus is saying? The Father is glorified when his people begin to grow like Jesus. When it becomes obvious from the way you live who you belong to. The Father wants to grow you 
like his son. Now, you, you think about that for a moment and, and what it means. Because this is talking about new identity and new action. This is saying to, to become a Christian, your life is joined to the life of the Son of God. You've, you've been joined into his life. It's dependent on his life. It's defined by his life. It's completely linked to his life. So that means God is bringing you into his family. He's bringing you to share in Jesus' life. Been joined into this. And that means Jesus' father is becoming your father. And as this father tends his son, so he tends everyone who's in his son. He wants them to grow like his son. He wants them to grow the way he wants his son to be like that. He wants them to grow like him. How do you think of yourself? My boys this past week talking about that amazing Spurs uh, win and they said, we've done it. We've done it. I, I, I love it. I love the way football fans talk like that, don't they? We've done, you were asleep. You didn't do anything. But, and you understand what they were doing. They are presumptuously including themselves in the life of Tottenham Hotspur. We're in this. We're part of this, quite presumptuously. But this says... This says God through his son is graciously. You wouldn't presume to do this. But God has graciously included you in his life, in his family. We are in it. We're in him. Becoming a Christian, it's not just a new list of things to do. It's a new identity. It's a new family. And think about some of the things we do, though. It, it's why we pray the way we do and commit to church, the way we commit to the church family. Christians pray to God as children praying to our Father because that's our identity. Christians pray to God in the name of Jesus because it's only through Jesus we've been given this identity. That's why we do those things. It's why we pray to God as Father. It's why we pray in the name of Jesus because that's where our identities come from. And Christians gather as a church like this because being joined to Jesus means that we're joined to everyone else who's joined to Jesus as well. And we're brothers and sisters. That's our identity. It's why praying and coming to church, they're not just things we do. These don't just happen to be things we do. No, they're, they're expressions of who we are. And if you only feel a loose connection to those things, if you only feel a kind of loose connection to, to praying, if you only feel a kind of loose connection to church, if you feel you can just kind of dip in and out of these things, it might be because you've only got a loose connection to Jesus Christ. But if you're joined to him and his life is flowing in you, you will pray and you will want to gather with other Christians because you can't be joined to Jesus and not be joined to the things he's joined to. Joined to his father that you want to pray to. Joined to his people that you want to be with and call brothers and sisters. Do you see that? And can I mention again, one of the ways... We express that identity. It's a, it's a commitment on Sundays and, and also through our small groups. There's another great, great way to do that. And are you in one? 
Are you committed to brothers and sisters? Sometimes Sundays is so big, isn't it? We can't get to know people very well. well. That's why we do our small groups. And you realize those things. It's not a commitment to an activity just to be ticked off. It's a, it's a commitment to people who are committed to you too because we're joined to one another as brothers and sisters. And this kind of identity, it's not like, you know the way it goes with your, your kind of mobile phones. We're always downloading apps to them. This kind of identity, it's not like another app you just download and, and add to the list of other ones you've got. No, this is like a new operating system. This is the identity that shapes everything else that you do. It's the fundamental one. This is the, the one that if you really got it, that will shape every other aspect of who you think you are. And now if that's true, if you're a Christian who's been joined to Jesus, if you've begun to understand that's your identity now, then you'll understand the prayer in verse 7. You see what it says? Look at it with me. Jesus says, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. It's another intriguing line in this. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Ask whatever you wish. I mean, what do you want? Oh, a Ferrari would be nice, wouldn't it? A holiday in the Bahamas. Ask whatever you wish. No, no. You, you understand what Jesus is saying here. This is saying God wants to grow you. It is much better than a Ferrari, isn't it? I, mean, I imagine they're nice holiday in the Bahamas I imagine they're nice as well but this is this is much better than those things it's saying God wants to grow you like his son he wants to grow you like his eternal son that he's loved through all eternity he wants to grow you like little you all the stuff that you muck up and mess around in and a father in heaven who wants to grow you like his Son, and he says, ask, ask whatever you wish. And you understand what he's saying to you. He's saying, get praying for any kind of thing that will help you grow in this kind of way. Lord, would you make me more like Jesus? Would you help me to grow in him and like him? So my identity is rooted there. The, the answer to that prayer won't always be easy. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 2 when he says, My Father prunes every branch in me that, that bears fruit. So it will bear more fruit. And that, that sounds painful at times. But it is a prayer God is committing to answer in good ways for our growth. You pray this way. Now the Father wants to grow you like his son. Look, in verse, verses 9 to 16, the, the second half of our passage Jesus stops talking about the vine. He kind of drops that picture language, but he's still talking about the same thing. And it, he wants to explain, look, if you start growing in him, what's it, what's it going to look like? What's it going to feel like? And here's the, the second little thing to look at. He's saying this, look, Jesus wants you to experience the joy of life-giving service. That intriguing verse, verse 11. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. <coughs> Our joys tend to be up and down. You can ask Steve afterwards. He's a Spurs fan. At halftime, Spurs were effectively 3-0 down. How do you feel at that point? 
I imagine if you're a Spurs fan, it's pretty miserable, isn't it? You're not feeling very joyful. End of the match, joys are up again. We're up and, up and down like that. But if you could link your joy with someone whose joy is complete, well, that would be good, wouldn't it? To have their joy in you, complete joy flowing into you, so that when your joys are up and down, uh, there's something else that's just giving you kind of ballast, steadying you, giving you a foundation that says, whatever else is happening to me, there's something that is secure and joy. That would be a deep experience, wouldn't it? What does he mean? What does Jesus mean by that? We need to do some detective work. Uh, Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. There's a lot of love in that. There's lots of different things going on. Here's a bit of detective work. Look, if you wouldn't mind, just for a moment, if you've been here for a while as we've been going through John's gospel, just chat to somebody beside you for a minute. In John's gospel, how does Jesus show his love? You need to think about that question. As we've looked through John's gospel, as you think about it, how does Jesus show his love? Just for, just for a minute or so, turn and chat to the person sitting beside you and just see what you think. Okay, I'm not going to get you to feedback. You might thought of lots of different things that would be right. You, as you think, track through the stories of John's gospel. I mean, Jesus, I mean, he's, he's delightful, isn't he? You think back to that wedding way back in chapter two, helps out the groom uh, at that wedding, provides wine for them. You might think about the way he speaks to the woman at the well, feels socially outcast, and the, the kindness of his words and what he offers to her. You might think of the blind man. Uh, who he heals, all, all those things. And th- they're all little signs of what he's like along the way, but it's heading up s- to something else, isn't it? And, and Jesus hints at it here. Do you see verse 13, uh, where he says these words, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you know where John's gospel is going? He's going towards the cross. Here's the place where Jesus will really display 
his love uh, to the full. His disciples don't know that yet, do they? So those, those words about laying down one's life for one's friends, they're, they're just, they're full of potential meaning at this point for them. They don't quite get it. Here's the cross is where Jesus shows his love. And later they'll understand this. But what he's saying here, he, let me try and explain what I think he's talking about. All these things is the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. Here's what Jesus is saying about his identity and about his joys. He's saying this, I am totally loved by my Father. I know I'm totally loved by my Father. And it's a joy to obey his command to come and give my life to save you. And I want you to know you are totally loved by me. And when you understand the cross, you'll understand how much sinful people deserving God's judgment, no right to anything from God, but I've come to lay down my life at the cross to take the punishment for your sins so you can be forgiven and joined into God's family. And I've not done it begrudgingly. Even when it's hard, there's been a joy in it, a joy in serving my Father and saving sinful people. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know that. Jesus wants you to experience the joy of life-giving service. His life-giving service for you. Do you know that you are loved by a joyful, life-giving Savior? So I say to my boys, come on, during the first Champions League final, wouldn't you rather support Liverpool? And they say, no, of course not. That would be awful. That would be the worst thing. That would be terrible. And this is saying to us, what Jesus is saying here, do you want to disobey Jesus? And we say, no, of course not. That would be awful. He loves us. He loves us. I'm in his family. That's my identity. Talking to my boys about this this week, we do a little Bible time in the evening. I was saying to Jack, Jack, Jesus is, Jack, Jesus is so kind and good. Look at what he's done for us. We read our Bible story. He loves you, Jack. He's forgiven you. He wants you and his family. Jack, you should love Jesus. That's what Jesus says to us here. You and I, we should love Jesus. It's a joy to obey him. Verse 10, if you can keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, if our lives are really joined to Jesus, the way his life operates is in some way the kind of life we've been joined into, then his joy will not only flow to you, it will begin to flow out of you. You see verse 12? My command is this. Love each other as I've loved you. And you understand what he's saying. Jesus wants you to experience the joy of life-giving service. Not just as something that comes into you, but as something that comes out of you as well. You begin to live the way Jesus lives. The Father wants you to grow like his son, and Jesus wants you to experience his joy in life-giving service, to know the joy of, of being loved this kind of way, and then to discover the joy of loving others in that kind of way too. 
How do you grow like this? How do you get to be like that? So all through the passage, Jesus in, in different ways has been speaking about it. You can pick through them again. And Jesus links remaining in him and, and growing in him to having your identity and your actions shaped by his word. That's what he says. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. We need to listen to his word. Let him speak to you. Let his love for you in the cross. That you're, you were sinful, you were lost, you're not entitled. That you weren't a victim, you were an offender. But you've been graciously saved and wonderfully loved. Let that shape how you think about yourself. That's who I am. A sinner lost to God but saved. Let God's word speak to you about that. He loves me. And like watering a plant, little by little, every day, uh, you'll grow. Uh, and there comes a point, if you want to grow in Christ, where you've got to trust his word and do what he says. Laying down your own life and saying, Jesus, I'll do what you ask. And we struggle with that, don't we? I listen to Jesus' word, but we struggle to do what he says. Back in, in verse 7, Jesus encourages us to pray. And he does the same in verse 16. We pray, Father, help me find true joy in living not for myself, but for Jesus in life-giving service. You're about to head into another week, aren't we? What's it going to be like for you? Maybe you're going to be heading into school. Maybe you're going to be heading into work and living for Jesus there. Maybe, maybe people find out you're a Christian in some way, and it's a bit uncomfortable because the decisions you make as a Christian, they make you stand out. And there's people who are willing to have a go at you. Or you think it's uncomfortable doing this and you want to keep your head down. Maybe you don't want to live that kind of way, but instead you pray, no God, this is who I am. This is my identity. Will you help me lay down my life and serve you and others instead? And you find as you do that, he's beginning to grow you so that even as if people hassle you and give you a hard time, what you're finding coming out from you is this kind of life-giving service where you started to pray for them, your schoolmates, people at uni, people at work. Lord, help me to live in such a way that they would find out about Jesus too. That what comes out from you is laying down your life and praying for others, looking for ways to love them like Jesus would love them. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's kind of obedience to Jesus. Maybe there's something in life where you don't like what the Bible says and the thought of doing it is making you feel upset or maybe it's even making you feel angry. I can't believe I would be asked to do this. And at that point you pray, no, Heavenly Father, please help me remember who I am. You've loved me and you've saved me. And would you help me to trust and obey? Would you help me to grow like Jesus? knowing my identity and finding my joy in the things that will last. Or maybe even tonight, as you heard Chris speaking about Japan, you've thought, do you know what? My life has been joined to one who's concerned for the whole world. And I don't really think about the world very much. And maybe tonight you want to even pray, Lord, would you help me to grow like Jesus? Would you help me to be prayerful? Would you help me to be supportive in world mission and other people finding out about Jesus? And maybe, Lord, would you even, if it was the right thing, would you 
call me to lay down my life in this kind of way and go so that maybe someone else could find out about the Savior. The Father wants you to go like Jesus. And Jesus wants you to experience the joy of life-giving service. Let's pray, and then Rachel will come back and lead us.